0: Right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our study this morning on being established in His righteousness. We'll be in part six this morning. And so, uh, just so you know, we will have Bible study tonight at six o'clock, uh, after is changed by Andrew Womack. And just so you know, all of our Bible studies and all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their ties and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how you can do so, simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, go to our give page, and you will you can give from anywhere from on, all, all over the world online. If you'd rather send us a check, on the foot of every page on our website, we have our mailing address, and you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And if you're here in the United States, just so you know, we are a c 3 and so your, your tax donations are tax deductible. I mean, uh, your, your donations are tax deductible. I think I said that wrong. Anyway, well, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the message this morning. We, uh, we're good, Sherry? And so uh, I want to make sure our technology is uh, working fine so I'm uh, not repeating everything. So anyway... Well, without further ado, just let me let you you know, Uh, our Christmas service will be on December 26th, that will be the day after Christmas, but it's that Christmas weekend that we will do our Christmas service. So we will, we're in week six here on this lesson, we have two more lessons with this series, and then we'll have a Christmas service on the 26th, and we'll start the new year in January with a brand new teaching series. Okay, and so I'm going to jump right into our message this morning. We're talking about being established in His righteousness. And as I do every week, let me give a little recap of what we've accomplished the last five weeks. Okay, in the week one, we talked about the unity of the faith. And we'll be kind of uh, piggybacking on some of this this morning, because this will tie into our message this morning. But the unity of the faith, we talked about there's one message that, that Paul and the, that we're to preach. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We define the gospel as a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It includes the birth, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But we, in the simplest form, we, we usually refer to it as a death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. It's not good news what you need to do. That's not news. That's advice. That's, uh, that's counsel. That's uh, direction. That's instruction. Good news is something that news is something that already took place. And the good news is what Jesus did for us through the cross, through the through death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? Now, like the, the gospel, we also talked about how the gospel reveals the, his righteousness. And, and we kind of tacked this into week two when we we're talking about being established in righteousness. Now, this is the title, title for our entire series and our entire course here, but at the same point in time, we spent some time diving in a little deeper into what I mean not only just about righteousness, but being established in righteousness. Because the gospel, the good news, reveals the righteousness of God. What's righteousness? Well, righteousness is a noun. It's not a verb. It's used over 500 times in times scripture, and it describes who we are in Christ, and not what we do, a verb. Who we are is a noun, and what we do is a verb. Now I believe we're supposed to live righteously. We're supposed to live holy. We're supposed to live godly. The grace of God teaches us to, to, to live godly. Titus chapter two verses eleven and twelve. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, a lot of people when we hear this type of message of grace and righteousness, <coughs> they think that we're teaching that you can live any way we want to. That is not what we're teaching. And anyone who's been around me, no, I don't teach that. So that would be a that would be false witness of what I'm I'm teaching, because that's not what we're teaching. At the same point in time, it's not based on what you do; it's based on what he did. And when you, when he when you live when you Bible says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse thirty four, when we awake to righteousness, we will sin not. We don't sin not to become righteous, but now that we are righteous, we can sin not. And this revelation, this teaching, revolutionized my life. I had some addictions. I had some sin in my life. But this teaching set me free from living a life of ungodliness to living a life of godliness and holiness and righteousness before God. With this, we talked about how being established in love. John said it this way in 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that you love him, but that he loved you became the propitiation for your sins. Propitiation is a fancy word that means he was your substitute. He took your place. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5 41. Jesus, not only did he not sin, but there in him there was no nature of sin. Okay? Um, you know, when we talk about righteousness being a noun, well, the word sin in the book of Romans is used 49 times, and 48 of those times the word is a noun, not a verb. It's talking about our nature. See, even if none of us ever committed a sin, through Adam, we were in sin. We, did not, only, we not only committed sin, but we also, in our nature was sin. Jesus, though, Adam is called the first Adam. Jesus is called the last Adam or the second Adam. And, and Jesus, there, no, he did not commit a sin, but there was no sin. Jesus was not born of Adam's seed. Jesus, we're we're in the Christmas season right now, we're celebrating when when the the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to conceive. See, it's the male that has the seed, not the female. The female fertilizes that seed and gives birth to that seed, but the, the male is the one that carries the seed. And so Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God, not of Adam. And Peter says in 1 Peter one twenty three, we are born again not of an seed, which is Adam, but we are born again of incorruptible seed, which is Christ. And I paraphrase some of that, but there's two kinds of seeds. There's two covenants. There's two gospels. I mean, there's, two, there's one gospel, but there's two covenants. Okay? And there's two seeds. There's, and, and so we need to not, when we're established in his love, when we're established in righteousness going backwards, See, my key where I'm talking about righteousness, but we're talking about being established. <coughs> and when you are establishing in God, when you're establishing his word as well as righteous, you will live a holier life than you ever tried to on your own. Okay? And then we talked about first four, because because these two are true, because we are righteous, because we are loved by God, John said, Behold, what manner of love that we should be called the children of God. Behold a manner of what the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called to show God. First John 3 1. <coughs> Excuse me. because all of this is true that I'm trying to convey in the recap this morning, there's something that we need to behold. We need to see who we are in Christ. We need to see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to behold that we are a brand new creation in Christ. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament talking about who we are in Christ. And that's what we need to behold. The word behold means to see with the mind. It means to see, look, listen. There's something that we need to behold. We need to stop seeing the old man that we put off and start seeing the new man that we put on in the spirit of a mind. The old man we put off, we circumcised him, we we crucified It was crucified with Christ. It was buried with him in baptism. Okay? This is all represented when we do water baptism. We were, we're buried with Christ and we're raised together in the with newness of life. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, Adam, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. And because all this is true, there's something that we need to see. We need to see who we are. We're not the old man through Adam. We are, in the spirit of our mind, we need to see, put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness is not what you do. True righteousness and holiness is who you put on. Right now I'm quoting from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Last week we talked about a subtle beguilement. The enemy is trying to beguile us the same way he beguiled the bride of the first Adam. he's He's trying to beguile us, the bride of the second Adam. Okay? And we're still going to be talking about this a little bit more, especially next week in Lesson 7. <coughs> okay? And, and as we do, we're going to still talk about this, this beguilement and this blindness that we'll be talking about. We'll be touching base on some of this again this morning, but we're not really done with this. Because as we're talking about being established in righteousness, we're also, there's some warnings here. There's some, there's some things, you know, when you're beguiled, when you're deceived, you don't know it. And so we are shining the light of the gospel to some people, their their hearts and their minds have been blinded. And they've been blinded so long with religion that they don't see it. They don't they have they, there, there's a veil over their eyes and they can't see the gospel for what it really is. They mean well, and we'll we'll talk, talk about that in a lot more detail next week, but there's a subtle beguile, and it's subtle. Not always a it but the subtle. And we'll see a little bit this, this morning that the, what the devil uses the most is Scripture, specifically the Old Testament. And I'm not saying the Old Testament is bad. I'm not saying the law is bad. It's holy. But there's only one thing that made the law holy, and that's the blood of Jesus. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 9. The blood of Jesus made the law holy. The law is holy. The law is good. Okay, But the danger of the law is that by keeping it, you can't become holy and good. You cannot become holy and good by keeping the law. If you can become holy and good with, by keeping the law, then you don't need Jesus. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. Antichristo means against or instead of Christ. And so when you have something that substitutes Christ, like the law, it, it can be the spirit of Antichrist. Am I saying that, that's bad? No. But the but it, 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 it beguilement It is by you thinking by keeping the law you can become holy and good. You're beguiled. Okay? That's called religion. And we're not having a one night stand with Christ. We are espoused to a matrimony, a holy matrimony with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we're going to go into what I've called the testimony of Scripture. (coughs) Of all eight lessons that we have in this teaching, this is actually one of my favorites. I love this because to me, this kind of brings everything into the. Just everything into focus. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the law this morning, as I've already mentioned, and we'll be talking about this again in the next two weeks as well. Because we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans chapter 3 this week and the next two weeks. (coughs) Excuse me. And so, let's talk about the testimony of Scripture. And as we're talking about the testimony of Scripture, the first thing we're going to do is talk about the witness of the law, or the witness by the law. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, tune with me into Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 20. Okay. And Paul writes, and we we touched on this before, we're going to touch on it again today, and then we'll touch on it again in the next couple weeks. Okay. But Romans chapter 3. Paul says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified in his sight. We'll stop right there. We can stop right there and go home. and We'll be good. By the deeds of the law, by what you do, no flesh can be justified. The word justify is the same word for righteousness. Okay? No one can be declared righteous. No one can be justified in his sight by keeping the law. Okay? For by the law is the knowledge of sin i got to come back to that real quick. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. We're going to come back to these two verses. Let me read the context Okay, for now. Even the righteous God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and, to, uh, and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard this. I've heard this all my life. It's true. It's Bible. Okay? But that's not the Gospel. There's no good news in this. It's true, okay? But it's not the good news. There's no good news in this. All have sinned and false short glory of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but that doesn't give me warm, fuzzy feelings, okay? It's true. I'm not discounting it. It's true. We need to know that, okay? But there's a comma, not a period. Some people have told me this is the Gospel. There's no good news in this, okay? Because this is true, that's why Jesus came. If this wasn't true, Jesus didn't need to come. But he did need to come because this is true. We all have sinned and we all have fallen short of his glory. Okay? But there's a comma. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. (coughs) Being justified, that's the word righteousness. Being declared righteous, being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, okay? Whom God set forth as a propitiation, we talked about that in week three, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because his forebears, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You are saved by faith in His grace. When you have faith in Jesus, that's how you become saved. Not by the deeds of the law, but by faith in Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus is just in justifying, declaring righteous those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go backwards in Romans 1 verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified. Because this is true, going backwards real quick, verse 26. Because we are just by having faith, because we are declared righteous by having faith in Jesus, no flesh can be justified by the deeds of the law. You can't have it both ways. Okay? And so, and it's like, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. I'm gonna deal with this in just a moment, verse 21. Let's deal with the knowledge of sin. The law is the knowledge of sin. The law reveals your sin. If you don't have your if you don't have your sin revealed, you will think in your mind you don't need to be saved. No, all have fallen short of the glory of God. You need to be saved. The law was given to expose your sin. The law was given to show you that you need a Savior, that you need Jesus. The law was good in that. But the law cannot save you. The law is not your Savior. Jesus is. Okay? Jesus is not the law. The law is good because it's pointing you it's telling you that you cannot help yourself. The law does not have mercy. The law does not have grace. Okay? And the law reveals your sin, but the gospel reveals your righteousness. We read this before in Romans 1, 16, 16, 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and is salvation to everyone who believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The, the law reveals your sin, but the gospel reveals your righteousness. Okay, let's go back to Romans three. So this is Romans one, Romans three says, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by now, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's do it. Verse twenty one. But now, when's now? Now, now we're gonna have a whole lesson on this phrase right here. That's what weekly eight our final lesson. We'll spend a whole week on this, but now. Okay? The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law. Now, there's a couple There's a couple things here. You can't be saved by keeping the law. No flesh is justified by the law. And the rights of God, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. The righteous God is revealed apart from the law. Yet the law gives witness to this righteousness that's supposed to be revealed now. Okay? Let's break this up a little bit. You cannot become righteous by keeping the law. But, it's okay when God puts his butt in there. Okay? When we get our butt, we, we get in trouble. Okay? But,. Okay, let's go back. You cannot become righteous by keeping the law, but the law and the prophets witness the righteous of God. In other words, the law and the prophets testify of the righteousness of God that we're supposed to be experiencing now. Let's go back and look at this again. This is the New King James that we're talking about, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. <coughs> You can't become righteous, you can't become justified from keeping the law, and the right of God is revealed apart from the law, but the law and the prophets give witness to what we are supposed to be experiencing now. The King James says it this way, verse 21, "But now the right of God without the law is manifested." When is it manifested now? Is it manifested by keeping the law? No. It's wit- it, But what does the law do? It gives testimony. It gives witness to what we are supposed to be manifesting now. In other words, all scripture gives testimony to the manifestation of righteousness. Okay? We're going to come back to some of this, but let me go on the detour for a few moments, and uh, let me bring some other things into the equation here, Okay? He also, we're talking about scripture, we're talking about the testimony of scripture. And so I want to go off on, he upholds all things by the power of his word. We've dealt with this before, but let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. And God said, who at sundry times in diverse manners, I mean the King James, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, were in the last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. See, since the beginning, God has been speaking one message. We've talked about this in in lesson number one. But God is now speaking through His Son. God has been speaking since the beginning one message. And now God is speaking this one message through His Son. Verse 3. Who being in the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So let's break this down real quick. God is upholding all things by the power of his word. Are you following me so far? God is upholding all things by the power of his word. What word? When he himself purged our sins. This is the word that he is upholding all things. In other words, God is upholding all things by the power of his word. What word? The gospel. Because him purging our sins is the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't come. Let me rephrase that. Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to shed his blood. So Jesus came to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We're celebrating Christmas. Yes, he is our king. But he came the first time to redeem us into a right relationship with God. That's righteousness. A right relationship of God is the definition of righteousness. We are in right relationship with God because of which we could not have a relationship with God because we were all sin about fell short of the glory of God. But Jesus became sin, took our sin, took our penalty, so that we could be established in the right relationship with God. That's the gospel. And the, when, he, when he when he purchased our he is upholding all things by the power of his word, when he purged our sins and sat at the right hand of God majesty up high. That when is when, that when when he purchased our sins is the is the word that He is holding all things. The gospel is the word that is upholding all things. Okay, it's not just any word. It's not just any any. There's multiple messages in this book in one sense, but there's one gospel. There's a lot of truth in here. There's a lot of facts in here, but not everything in here is the gospel. Some people don't like that, but that's true. Not everything that took place is the gospel. But the gospel, the word of God contains the gospel. Am I saying there's parts of scripture we should cut out? No. Because all we're gonna get to that. All scripture gives testimony to this. I can use all scriptures. I can use Obadiah to talking about Edom and bring the gospel out of that. Because it's giving testimony. All the law and the prophets, and we're going to see another scripture later, including the Psalms, give testimony to this gospel that's now revealed. All scriptures profit over to doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness of the man of God it might be totally equipped for every good work. But not everything's a gospel, okay? All scripture gives testimony to the gospel, but not all Scripture is the gospel. Okay? But the gospel is the word, it's a definite article, the word that is upholding all things. And now let's go on another rabbit trap. Our ministry removes this the bell. We talked we talked about this at length, but let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day same day since... Let me start over. But their minds were blinded. <coughs> but to this day, the same bell remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Don't I didn't write this. Paul wrote this. Don't get mad at me. Paul said that people's minds were blinded when they read the Old Testament. Okay? That's not good. That's called beguilement. That's, if your mind is blinded, you're deceived. You're beguiled. You're not seeing something. There is a veil. And that veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. There's only one way to remove this veil. There's only one way to remove this beguilement that we talked about last week. And that is (coughs) that is to preach Christ. How many know Christ is not a he, the word of Christ is also the word. He's a living word. The word of God is not the ink, the word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. But even to this day, when Moses, Moses speaking to of the law, is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Verse 16. <coughs> Excuse me. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit. And with the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, we, we use this verse 17 now of the, the Lord is Spirit, when with the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. We use that out of context many times, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that for the most part, because that verse by itself is true. With the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. But in context, he's talking about, he's comparing the law. With the ministry of righteousness and the ministry of the spirit, and the ministry of the spirit is the ministry of righteousness. We talked about that. We're going to look at some verses that will we'll bring that out again. But in context of verses seven through nine in the same chapter, he already compared the ministry of condemnation and death with the ministry of the spirit and righteousness. So he's talking about. The, we can we, he compared the ministry of righteousness and the ministry of the spirit as synonymous. So we can say now with. The ministry of righteousness is, the, the, the ministry of righteousness, there is liberty. I hope that said that right. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, or the Lord is the Minister of righteousness. And anyway, where the ministry of righteousness is, there is liberty. It's, Paul already compared, made the two synonymous. Okay? So, don't get off track on that. The Old Testament serves as a veil. Okay? The law serves as a veil. Is it bad? No. It's, Paul may it, called it a veil, but he also said the law of glorious. But he said the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, exceeds much more glory. <coughs> the Old Testament, if that's all you read, if that's all your doctrine is, it will blind your mind. Okay? The, the Old Testament is Christ concealed, where the New Testament is Christ revealed. Okay, the law blinds their minds. Removing the veil is true freedom. Okay. Paul makes another comparison in Romans chapter 8. He calls the law bondage. He also talks about this in Galatians chapter 4. It's bondage. Okay? Now, with this we came to 2 Corinthians 318, where we spent a lot of time on the last few weeks, but we all with the unveiled face. What's a veiled face? Our face is covered with the law. So our unveiled face is those who have received Christ, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of spirit. Beholding as in the mirror, we talked about beholding, in the glory of the Lord. When we look in the mirror, God's word, we should be seeing his glory, not our glory. And his glory, his glory that exceeds the law, law is the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of spirit. And when we see his glory, We are transformed, metamorphosis, into the same image that that we are beholding. If we behold the right image, we're going to be transformed into that image. Okay? From glory to glory. From the glory of the Old Testament, the law, to the glory of the ministry of righteousness. From the glory of the ministry of condemnation and and, and death to the glory of the ministry of righteousness of the Spirit. Why do I say it that way? Because that's what Paul said in verses 7 and 9 in the same chapter. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, removing the veil is true transformation. Am I making sense? I mean, he, he used that word. I didn't make it up. When we behold, when we have our faith, when, when, when the blinder, when our mind is blinded, and we are free because the veil has been removed, and now we can see. We are, we are not only free... But we are also transformed. True transformation comes from re- moving that path. See, when I understood this back in 2009, 2013, especially 2009, I felt like I was born again for the first time. Even though I was born again originally, when I when I I was in a Sunday school class in first grade at cushion Chapel in Walnut, California, I became born again in that Sunday school classroom. But I didn't get this revelation until 2009, I was already in my, I think, 40s, if i have had right? But anyway, uh, and so I'm not just counting on my upbringing, it was great, it was awesome. But I didn't get, I didn't know this, I didn't understand this. But when I did understand this, a bell removed off my heart and my mind, and that was awesome, okay? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3, seven. I keep mentioning this, so let's look at this. But the ministry of the death, written on engraved on stone, there's only one message that was engraved on stone. That's the law. It was glorious. Now, I'm not saying it didn't have glory, but it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steady at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. It's glorious, but that glory was passing away. Okay? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The law was glorious, but the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. For the ministry of, con- <coughs> excuse me, For the ministry of condemnation had glory; the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more glory. I'm not downplaying the law, but I want the much more glory. Okay, I am not saying the law wasn't glorious; it was, but it was passing away. It was fading, but this glory does not. Away. See, the ministry of condemnation, which is the law, is not our ministry. The ministry of death, which is the law, is not our ministry. Our ministry, our message, is the ministry of the Spirit. Our ministry, our message, is the ministry of righteousness. Fast forward two more chapters, chapter 5, our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. The old testament serves as a veil the law serves as a veil and the old testament blinded their minds the law blinded their minds but we through the ministry of righteousness can remove that veil so people can be seen see in the same context chapter 4 paul says but even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to our perishing see if our ministry If our message is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And people are perishing needlessly. People, it is unnecessary for people to perish. Our message is talking about going to hell. That's the worst kind. About the same point in time, people are perishing with all kinds of sickness and diseases. And they might not be going to hell because they're sick, but they are experiencing, in one sense, hell on earth. And so Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus paid for our healing. People, Jesus paid so that we could be well and that we could be prosperous in every way in our health, in our body, in our lives, in our finances. And people are perishing. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled that those her perishing. We have the gospel. We have the ministry of righteousness the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation, to set people free. If we don't share this ministry, if we don't share this message, people's minds are blinded and veiled to what they can experience. Okay? Satan is veiling the gospel through the law. Now, a lot of people don't like that, but let's go to Colossians real quick. In him, Christ, you were also circumcised, <coughs> Excuse me. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, there's a lot in here. I don't have time to go through all this teaching, but this whole circumcision is symbolic is with our hands. All of this what Paul is describing in the book of Colossians is really what we is illustrated in baptism. It's also illustrated in, in the verse that we read several weeks ago from Ephesians chapter four, where we put off the old man and we put on the new man created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? That's what he is explaining here. I don't have time to go in all detail, but it's in this context he goes verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he was made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. Everything he described me is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, and having wiped it went out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is deep, and I don't have time to go into a lot of detail here, but in other words. There, let me just say this. There was only one handwriting requirement that was against us. And that is the Ten Commandments. That is the law. Okay? Did not Moses see a hand, something writing out the Ten Commandments? Those handwritten requirements, they were against us. They were not for us. They were against us. They were redoing our sin. They were, it's called the law. It's called the ministry of condemnation. It's called the ministry of death. Those are not good titles, okay? Was the law good? Yes. Was it glorious? Yes. But it was a ministry of condemnation. It was sent to condemn you. It was sent to condemn you to die if you did not obey it. If you didn't obey one issue of the law, you broke the whole thing. It's like a BB gun. Or if I had a little pellet and I threw it to this big window right here in front of us, if the window shatters, it does not care about the big rock or a small rock. If it shatters, the whole thing's broken. Okay? And so, anyway, but these handwritten requirements that were against us, Jesus, and they were contrary to us, Jesus, he took them away, nailing them to the cross. Verse 15, Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Principalities and powers were armed with with these requirements that were against us and contrary to us. Satan has been using the law, he's been been armed with the law. And some people don't get that. But I'm not making this up, okay? At the same point in time, going back to Corinthians, their minds were blinded. Every time the Old Testament is read, every time Moses is read, the, the, the veil lies in their hearts. There's only one way to remove it, and that's to preach Christ, till so we can have freedom, and we can have, we can be transformed by His glory, from glory to glory. But Paul says, if a gospel is veiled, it's veiled to, the, to those who are perishing. Whose minds, in the same context, before go there, in context, he said that their minds were blinded. Are you following me? Going back, back to where we were. Whose minds? The God of this age is blinded. Little g, not big G. Satan is blinding people's minds with the law. It's in the same context. Don't get not, don't think that because we're chapter we in chapter four, not chapter three, that Paul just changed something. It's a letter. Okay, we are we are the ones that put chapters and verses to that. Okay? But whose minds that God has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the gospel is not a it, the gospel of the who. I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss every time I read this. Who is the image of God should shine on them the, Did we not read already that the law is a veil? And there's only one way to remove this veil, preach Christ. The God of his age has blinded people's minds with the law. Unless the light that removes the veil shines on them. Am I, make, am I making sense? Verse 3, going backwards, if our gospel of the veil to those perishing. We do not want to veil the gospel. We want to remove the veil of the law. We want to preach the gospel that reveals your righteousness, not the message that reveals your sin. Am I making sense? Verse 5 goes on to say, "But we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. You know, the very first thing that Jesus said, God said, let there be light. That was it. Even that was the example of the gospel. The light, the gospel is the light of the glory of God. And God said, command the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. We have a treasure in these earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be in God and not us. He's still in the same context. We have a ministry. We have a message. At the beginning of chapter 3, I didn't read this the last several weeks, but Paul says we are living epistles. We, not written with ink, but with the blood of Jesus. And so we have this treasure. We have a message. He began the chapter of chapter 4 saying, Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? The ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. Same context as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. It's plural. <coughs> this is not just my ministry as a pastor. This is our ministry. We have this ministry: the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation. Am I making sense? We're talking about we're talking about the testimony of Scripture, and we have the Scripture. To testify and to shine the gospel into people's hearts. To remove this veil. They testify me. John five thirty-nine 39 says, Jesus speaking. Jesus says, you search the scriptures. For in them you, you have eternal life and these are they which testify me. Now let me clarify something real quick. I know I've said this before and i said it before in this series but I don't think I've said it enough. The word scripture, when Jesus said this, the New Testament didn't exist yet. When Paul uses the word scripture, the New Testament didn't exist yet. They were, he was writing it, as well as Peter, and James, and other people, John. Okay? So, now, do I believe the New Testament is scripture? Yes. But then when, when they penned these words, when they said these words, it didn't exist yet, in natural form. Okay? And so... Scripture is referring to the Old Testament. but And so when he's using this, he's talking about the Old Testament. (coughs) Because that's all they had. They didn't have any other Scripture yet. It wasn't written yet. But he says, you search the Scriptures, the Law, the the Prophets, the Psalms, for in them you have eternal life. And these The scriptures are they which testify of me. See, the Jews believed they had eternal life by keeping the law, by keeping the scriptures. Are you following me? But the scriptures, Jesus said, testify of me, testify of Jesus. Again, I want to say this again. The Jews believed they had eternal life by keeping the law. There's many Christians today. I hear people on Facebook all the time think that people will get a life because they are not sinning. I'm all for not sinning. But if all you do is not sin, but you don't believe on Jesus, you're still a sinner. Okay? It's not by keeping the law that you're saved. They, the scriptures, testify of Jesus. Going back to Romans, okay. By the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said it this way in Galatians, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. If you think that you can be justified by the law, you are estranged from Christ. You have fallen from grace. He said it this way in the King James, Christ becomes of no effect unto you. Whoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Falling from grace is not committing some great sin. Falling from grace is thinking that you can be justified by the law. That's why I'm spending so much time on this part. What's eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Now, I want to spend some time here on the road to here in Luke chapter 24. And this is the last chapter of the book of Luke. We're going to read almost the entire chapter. It's uh, over 40 verses long. So let me read the story, and then we're going to talk about some things here. Okay? The road to Emmaus. We're we'll talking about the testimony of Scripture, and we're going to see it here and uh, multiple times here in this uh, Now, the scene is you're going to see the scene, but this is after the, the crucifixion, after Jesus went to the cross. This is actually Easter morning. We call it Easter morning, when Jesus had rose from the dead, but the disciples didn't know that yet. Okay? So, I'm going to read quite a bit, and then we're going to talk about it. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Easter morning, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, they they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and then, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus
1: and it happened
0: as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them in shining garments and as they were afraid then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth they said to them why do you see the, seek the living among the dead excuse me I missed all that he is not here for he is risen Remember how he spoke to you when he was still Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hand of several men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven to all the rest. And it was, it was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle work tales, and they did not believe them. So it's so a part of have them believed, okay? But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two, men, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So it was a seven-mile walk, okay? And they, they talked together all of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16. But their eyes were restrained. So get that so far? Jesus is walking with these two men on the road to Emmaus, which was a seven-mile walk, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. They didn't realize it was Jesus. <clears throat> and he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So Jesus is now, he knows that they're sad. Then the one whose name was Cleophas, Cleophas, Cleopas, thank you, Cleopas, thank you, Sherry. answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known these things would happen there in these days? I mean, they're like, it's like the atomic bomb just went off like, where have you been? I mean, who are you? Okay, anyway, verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And this, and they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Now they, they just they kind of nailed him down to a prophet. <coughs> Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus never... Okay, I think I already read that. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today, it it it, it the it is the third day since these things happened. Yet and certain women of our company who arrived in the tomb early and astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they also, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O oh, foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe in all of the prophets, and all, and I want to read this again. All oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning at Moses, that's the law, and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We're going to come back to this, verse 28. And then they drew near the village where they were going, and he he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, the last time he met with them, was at the last supper. He took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them, the same way he did at that last supper. And then their eyes were open. Then, when he did this, their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished out of sight. They finally got it. And then he just vanishes. We'll come back to that. Okay? And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scripture to us. So they rose up that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem. That's a seven mile walk back, okay? And found 11, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them, in the breaking of bread, to so the rehearsing the story, they get to the part where he, they broke bread and how he'd done to them. And right when see when he they share when, when that happened the first time, their eyes were open. When they get to this specific part, Jesus appears. And now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, <coughs> and he said to them, "Peace be to you." But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they have seen a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Handle me and see me, for a spirit does, does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy and marvel, and he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45, And he opened understanding that they might comprehend the scripture verse 46. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, And thus it is necessary for the Christ to have suffered to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preaching his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. We talked about verse 46-47 and weeks prior when we talked about the remission of sins. And we compared that with Peter preached at Pentecost. Now let's go back real quick to verse 16 and 17. At the beginning of this conversation at the beginning of this journey on the road to Emmaus their eyes were restrained so they did not know him jumping down to verse 30 when they get to Emmaus and they took bread and Jesus specifically took the bread and broke it and gave it to them at that specific moment now we've already talked about how the bread a communion from, from 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul Talks about communion and how we're supposed to do this in remembrance of him. His bread that was broken, his his body that's broken for us. The blood of his covenant. We're supposed to do this in remembrance of him. So communion is speaking to the cross. Communion is speaking of the gospel. (coughs) Are you following me so far? So as he's again illustrating this bread... The body that was broken for them. Because the last time they met him was at the last Passover, at the Last Supper. He blessed and broke it. Then, at that specific moment, through the gospel, see, the gospel, did we not just already read in Corinthians? The gospel, Christ removes the veil. Their, their, their eyes were blinded, they did not know him, they did not recognize him. But when Christ was preached through the gospel, Through communion, their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Are you following me? This is very, very powerful, if you get this. And without that that specific moment, that their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Okay? Verse 32 says, and this is their testimony. Did not our hearts burn within us, why he spoke with us, and why he opened the scriptures to us. I I missed the part. Uh, I meant to go back to... You know, on the road to Rotimaeus, it says that he expounded on them all the scriptures concerning himself. They had a seven-mile walk. I don't know how fast you can walk seven miles, but it took—it must have taken half a day, if not longer. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be a little sluggish after I get to the second mile. And I'm going to slow I mean my wife and I we walked we used to walk about a mile maybe we've been so tired and busy we're not walking so much but sherry knows I have three speeds I have slow slower and slower and so um, and at the end of the walk I am slow and I'm sluggish I am I am uh, yeah anyway but he has on all the scriptures concerning himself I don't know about you but I would really love to hear that message all the scriptures because there's probably some that we've left out. But at the same point in time, all the scriptures concerning himself, because the scriptures testify of who? Him. And he said, they said, their testimony is that their hearts burn. Jeremiah says that his word is like a fire. It burns. And then that's why you talk with us and why you open the scriptures to us. See, their eyes were constrained, veiled until the breaking of bread, communion. We talked about this weeks prior for Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I just mentioned this, but I didn't know how in my notes. For well, I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this after often as you drink it, and remembrance of me. Of course, often as you eat and drink this cup. Every time they eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what they were doing in the <coughs> That may not bend their attention, but that's what took place. Okay. Now, yeah, this is a verse I want to go back to. I didn't know I had this later in my notes. It says, In the beginning of Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning them. I would run to hear that talk. Okay. But in one sense, we do have that message. If we will read it, if we will listen, and we will let our teacher, the Holy Spirit, bring these things to our remembrance. Okay. But anyhow, so we can get that message today. And they to talk about how their hearts burned with them, while they opened the scriptures. The scriptures, the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. The, this whole message was about the, the law and the prophets. And in verse 44... When they get to the, the 11, of course, there's two of them there, so when they get back to the 9, <laughs> 2 plus, I mean, 11 minus 2 is 9, so anyway, yeah. and then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you, <coughs> excuse me, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law, the prophets, and Luke includes the Psalms, Okay? Some people don't always include the Psalms, but the Psalms and the Prophets can be the same thing, or well, they can be separated, like they are here. Concerning who? Him. The Old Testament, the Scriptures, specifically the Law, the Prophets, they're about Jesus. Okay? And He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture. You can't comprehend the Scripture unless He opens your understanding. Okay? And based on this scripture, I'm almost done here. I'm actually getting, uh, uh, doing pretty good with time. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, understanding the scriptures, I want to go into the next section talk about being trained in righteousness. We're talking about the testimony of scriptures. There's something we need to learn. There's something that we need to behold. There's a veil that needs to be removed. There's a ministry that we have. And we shared this many times before already in the series, but you must, uh, we're gonna go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, but let's, let's look at the context before. Paul is writing in 2 Timothy, he's writing to young Timothy. He's his apprentice, he's a young pastor. Paul's mentoring him. And he says, but you, Paul is talking to Timothy, so you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned. We need to learn some, learn some things. We talked about this before. There's a thing that we need to so learn. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a thing that we need to, to be permeated and saturated in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Okay? We have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned it. Where did he learn it? If you understand uh, Timothy, he learned it from his grandmother, Lois. Amen. Lois, I think I said it right. Have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. Which the holy scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. When you have faith in Christ Jesus, when you know the holy scriptures, you are wise. There's a lot of Christians out there, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying my intention is not to put anyone down. But they don't know the scriptures. And they're, in my opinion, they are immature. They're believers. They're saved. But they're not not—they're not wise in the scriptures. That's not a put down. You can be saved and still go to heaven, even if you're not wise in the scriptures. But if you're not wise in the scriptures, you can be easily beguiled because you're not established. In righteousness. You're not established in the gospel. Okay, Verse 16. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Old Testament. Law, prophets, Psalms. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Because when you are indoctrinated and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness, you can be perfect. Thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished for all good works. Okay? All scripture. We're talking about the testimony of scripture. and all scripture, it gives testimony to indoctrinate, reprove, correct, and instruct you and train you in righteousness. So that you might be perfected. That you might be thoroughly equipped for every according to the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Fast forward, at verses 3 to 4, fast forward to verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty or in vain. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised Christ when He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. He's being facetious here, but to a point. Verse 16 For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. Or as the King James says, the most miserable. Okay? If, if, if the gospel's not true, according to the scriptures, then we are still in our sins and we are all miserable, especially us who are preaching this false message. But he says, but now Christ is risen for the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or who have died. We have a message. We have a ministry to preach the gospel, to remove a veil, to shine the light of the gospel of the glory of God. We have a ministry so that people can know who they are in Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery, Romans chapter 16. Now for him who is able... To establish you, we're talking about being established in righteousness, you according to my gospel. Why does he use the word my gospel? I thought it was the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ. And Paul's made that very clear in all of his letters. But he's making it very personal for him. And he said, in other words, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is just, see, the gospel is a Who? Jesus is my Jesus. He's your Jesus. He's our Jesus. The, the word of God is not a ink. It's a person. The gospel is not an it. It's not ink. It's a who. He's my Jesus. He's the gospel of Christ. It's not the, the word of God, but it's my Jesus, my Savior. It's my gospel. It's yours too. It's ours. We have this ministry. But in this context. He's concluding the book of Romans, and he's saying, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, the gospel he just preached, the gospel of Christ he just conveyed through this whole book, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which kept since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scripture." made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. We're talking about this morning the testimony of Scripture. All Scripture testifies of Jesus. The law, we can't be justified by the law, but the law and the prophets give testimony to this righteousness that we can see manifested in our lives now. We're going to spend more time on Romans chapter 3 next week and some other scriptures as we talk about subtle blindness. This kind of goes with last week's lesson, but it's a continuation because beguiled and blind almost are all the same thing, okay? But we're going to continue on just a little bit more. If we, I hope we're going make, make it sense. I'm not just trying to drag this out, but there's some things I need to bring out in this next week's lesson, and then we got one more week after this, and we're done with this message or this series. We're talking about being established in His righteousness. It's awesome. This teaching, this, what I'm trying to convey and teach in this series has revolutionized my life, and I'm hoping it revolutionizes your life as well. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We will see you tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Uh, I think I I showed it wrong. We actually finished our book on Effortless Change last Sunday. We're going to be, what we're doing right now, we're taking a break from Wednesday night and we're moving our Wednesday night book to our Sunday night study. So we're going to be talking about the Believer's Authority tonight. We're going to pick up where we left off on our Wednesday night. Sharon and I have just been working a lot. We have we have multiple full-time jobs, and we uh, during the week, it's just been too hard for us right now. Um, so we're just taking a break. We're not going to cut it off Wednesday nights completely, but right now we're just taking a break. Uh, we, we're readjusting some schedules and whatnot. So we're going to move Wednesday night. Now that we finished the book on Sunday night, we're going to keep Sunday night going, but we're going to move our Bible study from uh, Wednesday night to Sunday night, and we're going to do that at the beginning of the night. So, all right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.